Welcome to the Maintenance Community Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn all things about maintenance and reliability. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each week, I'll be meeting with an expert in the maintenance community to take a deep dive into topics that hopefully help elevate the entire industry. Our topics are sourced from the Maintenance Community Slack group, which is the largest online community of maintenance professionals around the world. And today, I'm super excited to have Christine Witte here on the show. Christine is currently the Director of Product and Services at Seam Group, which is a global asset optimization company focused on optimizing asset safety, reliability, and maintenance for their clients. Welcome to the podcast, Christine. I'm super stoked to have the opportunity to learn from you today. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So the way that we always kick the show off is have you share a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you were first introduced into this wonderful field of maintenance and reliability. Absolutely. Yeah. I spent the majority of my career actually integrating technology across the healthcare space. So think about electronic health records. Traditionally, everything was pen and paper. And now all of a sudden you have these platforms where you can capture everything digitally. My role was to kind of look at workflows, look at the clinical setting and integrate that technology so that it optimized those workflows and it improved the patient's experience and learned a lot about how technology can either drive efficiencies or create a bottleneck for everything that's actually supposed to happen in a space. And just seeing, uh, you know, that kind of transfer of paper to digital and seeing all the, the different things that got in the way of that being effective, I became very curious about it and ended up going to work for Johnson Controls on, on their smart building team, which was similar things, trying to look at how can technology augment some of the tasks that we're doing today so that we can be more efficient and worked with different industries from everything from their security systems to their building automation, master system integration to help them just utilize technology in the right way. And then found out about this maintenance and reliability world. I was at FedEx and they were talking about how they have to get all these packages out the door, but every time a pump or a a belt breaks, everything stops. And every moment that they're shut down, that's dollars out the door. That's a package that got delivered late. And that's where I started to understand how these pieces of equipment need to be maintained and how there are certain solutions like we see in the IoT space that can help just create visibility around what the actual health of the equipment is. And I think that was kind of my aha moment that this is where I need to be because this space is really cool. And there's a lot that we can do to, you know, drive improvement and to continuously improve. I agree with that, Christine. This industry is really cool. So you've had like a very interesting journey into maintenance reliability, started out in healthcare, got into IoT, Johnson Controls. And it sounds like you've you've really dedicated your career to this industry, which is awesome. And I know that more recently you're at a group called Seam Group, which is focused on both uptime and safety, which is what I really wanted to focus today's conversation about safety and the trends within safety. I think the most top of mind topic right now is around COVID and how COVID has shaped safety within a plant. Maybe we could start there. Christine, what kind of trends are you seeing within organizations, big and small, around how they're reacting to safety as it relates to COVID within their plant? Your employees still need to be trained. They need to continuously be educated upon whatever their role is, whatever that task is that they're responsible for. So what we saw during COVID was that organizations had to quickly shift and pivot around their traditional training and education platform. We had to find ways to do it remotely, to have virtual training and to ensure that those trainings were actually completed because a lot of them are, are regulated. Let's take OSHA, for instance, and NFPA 70E. If you're in a critical space like manufacturing, 
you need to make sure that your employees go through that training, are assessed, and they're viable to do the job that they've been paid to do. If they haven't been through those trainings, they're at risk. The other side is COVID shut the world down because of just how contagious it was. So now, you know, you go into the gym now, you get your temperature chicken, you, you, you have six feet apart. So what it's done for the space that we serve is it's created a couple of different challenges by way of you're having to do less with more. You're having to invest more in some of these safety solutions, technologies, and you have to find a way to still be competitive and still keep your doors open while you're having to learn all these new habits, take more time to do things and invest in these safety solutions, technologies, equipment. So, so basically what COVID has largely done is like put a big emphasis on safety. It's changed the way that we deliver safety modules, but also in many ways, I think what we're talking about too, Christine, is increasing rules, regulation, and also trainings within a plant to adapt to this new world. Mm-hmm. And what we were talking about right before we, we hit record here was really when you do that, there also comes an increased cost. So I think to your point, you're saying you have to do more with less. How are you seeing the best companies right now adapt to this like let's call like increased cost in maintaining you know, safety within a plant, given these new rules, regulations, and everything that's going on? It's going to be potentially investing a little bit today to you know reap the benefits later. Look at what technologies are available so that you can, with your with your without adding more people, adding more bodies, utilize technology so that your teams can focus on you know the high value tasks. Your technician may be spending most of his time looking for problems, and you may need that many more technicians looking for all these problems across your your plant and all the pieces of equipment. But with IoT and with technology, you can actually have sensors installed to monitor your equipment, similar to a physiological monitor in the healthcare space. And so now you have data delivered to your, you know, at your fingertips on your mobile device to your CMMS like Upkeep, which is mobile and that platform travels with you. So you know at any given time what your equipment's doing, what the risk of failure is, so you can, you know, assign a task to the right technician at the right time. And in the mobile workspace and the hybrid workspace, that's extremely crucial and critical for these folks to be too optimized and to be competitive, especially as they're running with these skeleton crews you know, post-COVID. To, to your point around like increasing costs, how do you do more with less? I think you're absolutely right. There's been a huge, big investment in, in technology, which is why I think over the past, uh, it seems like eight to 10 months, we've seen this massive surge in technology because a lot of businesses are realizing that we have to do more with less. And one way to do that is through using technology, which also poses a very interesting question around what does that mean for the future of our jobs, right? If we are, if we are saying, how do we do more with less, utilize technology, you need fewer technicians. What, is, what do you think that means for our industry? Well, there's a couple of things that are important to note is we know there's a skills gap. There's all these jobs that are going to need to be replaced if we're, we stay where we are today. That workforce, that skilled trade, they came into this space with apprenticeships as journeymen. Those apprenticeships that we would traditionally see in high schools have been replaced with STEM, computer labs, things that are very important, things that are 
the technology drives, but that's created this big gap. It's almost a blessing in disguise that we're going to have the ability to replace some of those skilled jobs with technology. You know, technology is never going to replace a human completely. It's a, a, it's a relationship. It's, you know, a qualitative and quantitative relationship. And when they come together, they can work magically together, but I don't think it's one or the other. I was trying to find some stats the other day and I came across the BLS and I looked at, you know, maintenance industrial workers and the job outlook for maintenance industrial workers over the next 10 years. And the BLS actually said that this is a group, this is an occupation that's expected to grow by 13% over the next oh. 10 years, which is actually huge, yes, which is crazy. faster than the normal job outlook and growth. And I started digging in a little bit deeper. Like, why is that? We, you know, we keep talking about like how, Technology is going to, going to replace workers and replace jobs. But what I found was that a lot of the work that is being done by you know, our industry is repairing equipment. The, these pieces of equipment is essentially the technology that we're also afraid of. And until the, these pieces of equipment, robotics can start repairing itself, like we're going to also- They're not going to, right. Yeah. I mean, we're going we're gonna to need the maintenance reliability industry. And as these become, as those pieces of equipment become more complex, we're going to need those skilled exactly. workers to work on those pieces of equipment. You know, we, I think we talked about this last time. We, there was this fear that like banks would close and, you know, tell, the teller job would go away with ATMs. But what happened with ATMs is- Banks were able to open new branches and do more because they had better cash flows, because they were able to scale by not having, you know, that long line on Friday out the door. They were able to do more with their folks and grow their business versus, mm -hmm. you know, the initial fear that, oh, this, these ATMs are going to replace all these people inside the bank. They just yeah. were now focused on higher value tasks. Exactly. And that's kind of what we talked about, you know, in one of our other uh, episodes around like. What are some of the jobs that are going to get automated away? One, the most mundane, repetitive, simple tasks like the bank teller job. But then two, as it relates to this conversation, some of the most dangerous jobs, right? You don't want to risk your human life to go do something that, you know, we could potentially use technology or robotics to, to help solve. Yeah, I mean, maybe with that lens on, how do you think the safety space is going to change as we see more technology go into the, the safety space? The addition of complex technologies does pose a little bit of a risk, and there's a vulnerability that comes along with that because the awareness and the almost instinct around is safety and maintainability isn't there, even if you read, you know, the OEM recommendations or whatever it is. So what I, what I see happening is the ability to now have technology almost create redundant safety where the technology can tell you what your risk is, what their, the degree of exposure is for your people that will ultimately have to maintain equipment. At the end of the day, like you said, they're not going to maintain themselves, but we can utilize sensors and IoT to now have you know, heat maps and awareness on what that risk is based on the time of day, the pro whatever process is happening within the plant, you know, decrease our vulnerability and hopefully stay save lives and make sure that our people go home safe. It's always been astounding to me that this statistic of 10 times more workers die each year than first responders in the maintenance space and in, in the industrial space. That's that's not okay. I mean, that's something that shouldn't be happening. And I do see that there'll be, pray that there'll be a reduction in that or eliminate it altogether once we have technologies that can really 
help us understand, prepare, and mitigate risk. The other thing that I, I yeah, maybe as a quick aside that I noticed from you, Seam Group, was you mentioned uptime and safety. I, I think in, in the industry, there's kind of, there is a conversation around like, does reliable mean safe? And what are like the intricacies there? So I wanted to ask if you have a perspective on that. Does reliable mean safe and does safe mean reliable? There's a spectrum of where people sit on this. There's academics that write books on it. There's maintenance reliability professionals that have completely conflicting theories to these you know, academics. But my personal opinion, they are not you know, mutually exclusive of one another. I think that they are actually, there is a relationship. There's a correlation. They, it might not be specific um, within every plant, every space, but they are definitely complementary of one another. And when something is reliable and when you understand what it's doing, you understand failure modes, you understand everything that could potentially go wrong with that, there's awareness on what is safe versus unsafe. And I do believe that they, again, that they're correlated and that they should be viewed upon and looked at together, part of that straight, that greater strategy. So it's not just maintenance and reliability, it's maintenance, reliability, and safety, because all three of those, you know, woven together, create a much more optimal plant with specific awareness around what it's doing at any given time. And, you know, the plan to take care of things as they degrade before they cause, you know, some sort of problem, explosion, whatever it may be. What do you think is the best way for like safety, maintenance, reliability teams to work together? Is there a good, easy Way. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it has to be collaborative. It has to be emotional. It cannot be driven by a regulation or a piece of paper or even some KPI. It, it really has to be a very inclusive relationship and, and environment and team. And the way I view safety is the way I protect my kids. Like it's instinctual. And I train them to understand how to mitigate risks and how to stay away from dangerous situations because I really, really care. And they see I care and they trust me. And so that trust, that emotional attachment, that culture of mom to daughter to son and the protection around it, it's very organic and natural where you see all the time in the industrial space, the conflict, you know, the opposition, the conflict, it's almost driving the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. And so I'd like to see that turn around and it'd be much more you know, cohesive and collaborative. And in the same vein with kids analogy, I, I don't have kids yet, but I could imagine, Christine, that there is this like push for obviously keeping them safe, but also push for, you know, wanting to see them push the boundaries of, of what's possible too. And what I say to them is see something, say something, ask, you know, speak up. And if you have, if you have a thought or you have an idea, don't be afraid to speak your mind. Don't be afraid to say, wait a minute, that doesn't look right. Or why don't we try it this way? It's breeding curiosity and confidence that you're okay to speak up, regardless if you're here or, you know, you're a new hire or you're an intern, whatever it is, or you're a five-year-old. <laughs> speak up, ask questions, be very curious. So on that vein around being curious, we're just wrapping up our time here. Christine, where do you go to find yourself learning more? Where do you go for new ideas? Where do you go for educational content? I am inherently a very curious person and I like to go where there's a diverse group of you know, minds and experiences and skill sets. So I guess I, I should mention the maintenance community. I, I believe there's like 4,700 of us now 
on this great platform where we can engage and we can have breakout sessions and different, you know, with different thoughts, with different topics. I can ask an expert anything about reliability and have an answer within 30 seconds. So I would recommend, you know, anybody watching, check out, check out the maintenance community. It's just a really very wealthy uh, group of resources, people, and has been fascinating for me to be part of that. Awesome. Well, Christine, we love having you as part of the maintenance community as well. You've been a huge resource to all of our different members. Can you share with all of our listeners all the different ways that they can connect with you and follow you on your journey? Thank you for having me. And I'd love to connect with any of you guys. I am on LinkedIn. It's Christine O'Rourke Witte, W-I-T-T-E, C Witte at seamgroup.com. Awesome. And thank you again, Christine, for joining us and being so open to the entire maintenance reliability community. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you. And um, congratulations on all the success that Upkeep's having. 400,000 users. That is still blowing my mind. And it's really cool to see. (laughs) It's been an awesome, amazing journey. Again, thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me and Christine in the maintenance community Slack group. You can feel free to follow us shoot us any questions or suggest any future topics. So I hope to connect with all of you soon. And thank you again, Christine. Have a great afternoon, Ryan. Thank you so much.